Lord, thank you for what you're about to do here. Thank you for the vision that will be imparted. Thank you for the anointing that will be on our brother. We pray, Lord, that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to this church at this moment in our lives. God, that we would actually respond to you with full hearts. So anoint David for this message in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Agnes and I want to say thank you, Airdrie Alliance Church. In many ways, you are leading the way in opening the door for a greater experience of the fullness of the Holy Spirit in the Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, Thank you for your courageous heart. And uh, your pastor, Sandy, is often sending me text messages and saying, this is what's happening in our church. And Agnes and I are going, oh, we wish we were close enough to commute. Toronto's a little far, so... But we are here in spirit, and we are praying for you. And today, as I arrived early to do a prayer walk around the outside of your church, uh, this is what I prayed. Your neighbors must have thought I was a little crazy, but I raised my hands over your church, and I said, come breath, come spirit, come from the four winds, and enter into those who are slain that they may live. And I don't know where your soul is at today. I don't know whether it's maybe in a dry place or a dead place. But I believe today is a day for revival. Today is a day for renewal. Today is when the Spirit of God is blowing afresh upon His church. And so I'm asking, I'm asking in Jesus' name that this would be a marker moment in your lives. And I said, oh God, I see, I see I see the Spirit coming. I see the Spirit entering into the very heart of Airdrie Alliance Church that they would rise up as a vast army filled with the Spirit of God, filled with a vision to reach the nations, that Airdrie will never be the same because of God's work in your souls in this place. Hallelujah, in this time. So I'm, I'm always kind of chuckling because I, I go around and I pray on every church that I go and preach at. And pastors are so gracious. They go, thank you for praying for our church. And I go, you don't know what I just prayed for you, do you? You think I prayed some polite blessing prayer? Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm praying my most fearless, audacious, and faith-filled prayers that I've ever prayed. And I pray over our Alliance churches, oh, God, shake us to the core. Because God is shaking his world. And there are people groups that have never been accessible to the gospel that are now accessible to the gospel in this time. And so I said, oh God, as you're shaking your world, as you're opening doors for the gospel, in Jesus' name, shake your church. So I prayed that for you today. I said, oh God, shake us. And fill us with your Holy Spirit. I long for those moments when the Holy Spirit fills an entire congregation at once. Why not today? Why not on Mother's Day? Why not on Renewal Sunday? For what purpose? For the purpose of proclaiming the Word of God with boldness. You see, the greatest evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit is not what is happening inside our church buildings. Hear me, friends. The greatest work of the Holy Spirit happens when you launch out of this church building into your community, filled, intoxicated, overwhelmed with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, that you're actually changing the spiritual atmosphere in Adrian. Oh, yes. It is time. So I want to invite you into a very unique text. Ezekiel chapter 47. Ezekiel is what I call a prophetic artist. And imagine now, let your imagination run as you see this large canvas upon which he will paint a glorious vision of the future. He's speaking to a people that are in exile, 
a people that are deeply discouraged, people that are suffocating with the overwhelming sense of despair. The city Jerusalem is now a city in ruins. Its gates are burned. They are in Babylonian captivity. The temple where they had seen the Shekinah glory of God has now been destroyed. And in anguish and in horror, they say, is there any hope? And hallelujah, Ezekiel says, you bet there is. He says in Ezekiel 37, dry bones will come to life. They will live again. And then this beautiful picture of the temple. And I'm convinced that this temple is not a temple that actually will be built in the millennial kingdom. I believe that this temple finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ himself and his church as the living temple of God. We read in John chapter 1 verse 14 that the Word came, and the Word became flesh, and the Word dwelt, tabernacle, it's a beautiful word, templed among us, and hallelujah, we beheld His glory. His glory as the one and only Son coming from the Father, full of truth and grace. The Apostle Paul says these stunning words. He says, do you not realize that you all together are the temple of God? What a stunning statement. And that the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. And John, as he sees that glorious vision in Revelation chapter 21 of the holy city, he says there is no temple in the holy city. Why? Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. This is a vision for us. This is a moment for the church today because it's a vision of revival. It's a vision of renewal. Hallelujah. It's a vision of hope. The canvas opens before you. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from underneath the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. And the water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. Pause there. Every blessing we receive in the Christian life becomes, comes to us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Amen? Everything we receive comes through the altar, comes through the blessed reality that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. He paid for our sins. He's filled us with blessings. And hallelujah, on the third day, he rose from the dead. Amen? Amen. And here's great news, Airdrie. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in you. So I dare you. You be fearless. You be fearless and you be filled with holy boldness. And then he brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate, facing the east. And the water was trickling from the south side. And as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off 1,700 feet, and then he led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another 1,700 feet, and he led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another 1,700 feet, and he led me through water that was up to my waist. And I love this next phrase. He measured off another 1,700 feet, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. If you want to know the heart of my message today, it's simply this. Airdrie Alliance Church, it's time to go into the deep end. Oh, with all my heart, hear this passionate plea. I believe that today is a day when God is calling us for reckless abandon into the fullness of the Holy Spirit to jump into the deep end of the river. Yes, I'm calling you to get all wet today. Oh, man, this is good. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? And then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. 
And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down to Arabah, the dry place, and it enters into the Dead Sea. And when it empties into the sea of salty water, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. And there will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Another version says, where the river flows, life abounds. Friends, the Holy Spirit of the living God is on the move, moving his church into the deadest places of our world. And hallelujah, there is life that is coming. So when I stepped on to Airdrie, Airdrie City last night, I just, in my spirit, I said, oh God, would you bring life? Would your river flow through Airdrie? Would the dead places of this city come to life in Jesus' name? It's time. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Engelum, and there will be places for spreading out their nets and fish of many kinds will come like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. Spirit of the living God, this is a vision that needs to rivet deeply in our hearts today. For Father, I believe this is a a profound moment in human history. There are things that are happening in our world around us that says, church, we need to wake up. We need to be fully alive. We need to be fully immersed in your presence and your power for such a day as this. Oh, Jesus, make us agile in the Holy Spirit that as you move, we would move and that the opportunities for your grace, your living power to be manifest in our world would be seen in glorious, stunning arrays of your supernatural power. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I began a ministry over 30 years ago, and uh, between my third and fourth year at Canadian Bible College, I went on something called internship, where you got to actually practice being a pastor. Now, I'm a city boy, and they decided to send me down to a place called Hardin, Montana, which is redneck country in the U.S. It was a pilot project. They had never done it before, and they never did it again, Sandy. (laughs) I realized very quickly that I was way out of my context. Most of the guys in my church were sheep farmers, and I knew nothing about sheep farming. And so after a week of being there, I was invited to a sheep shearing extravaganza. You never thought you'd hear those words together, did you? They'd bring all the sheep from everybody's farm to one particular farm, and all day we would shear sheep together. And I knew that this was a contextual kind of event, so I better be there. So they drove their four-by-fours, they rode their horses, and we all arrived, and it was a glorious day. We were working together, we were shearing sheep, we were telling jokes, there was lots of male bonding going on, and at the end of the day, one of the good old boys, with his thumb in his belt like this, looked at me, and he said, uh, you ride horse, don't you, pastor? And I know you're not supposed to lie when you're practicing to be a pastor, but the last time I rode horse was at Safeway for 25 cents, so you know my skill level. I said, sure I do. I'll never forget his next words as he pointed to a big black stallion and he said, well, mount up and lead us home. They hoisted me on on top of this big black stallion and I learned a few things about riding horses. First of all, if it is at the end of the day and the horse is going home to its place of rest and to its place of food and you are an inexperienced rider, that horse has one speed and that is a flat out gallop. And the minute my bottom hit that saddle, that horse took off at a furious pace. I learned a second thing about riding horses. When you are in sync with the horse, meaning when it goes up, you go up, and when it goes down, you go down, it actually is an exhilarating ride. 
However, when you are out of sync with the horse, meaning when it goes up, you're coming down, there's an excruciating pain that will go through your body, making you wish for death. Very quickly, I was at the wishing for death stage. And I remember making this pathetic but heartfelt plea, oh, Jesus, help me. I grabbed one rein that was out here, grabbed another rein that was out here. I pulled with all of my might, and that horse must have had four hoof posi traction. It locked up, skidded down the road. I slid up off the saddle and ended up with my entire body wrapped around the horse's head, there frozen in time. I could hear the good old boys coming in their four by four. They drove by in a cloud of dust, laughing hysterically. And I'll never forget as one of them yelled, lead on, pastor, lead on. (laughs) I've never forgotten that. Because for me, it has become a metaphor of anyone who is passionate about being on mission with Jesus. Because the reality is it often is a wild and unpredictable ride. There are moments when there are supernatural breakthroughs. There are ways in which the Spirit of God shows up in power and the ride has never been better. But there are other moments when we face formidable obstacles, dry seasons in our lives where we're desperate for more and everything in between. And I know as I speak here today, I'm speaking to people who are on either end of the spectrum and with everything in between. And this is why this message is so critical on Renewal Sunday, because here is the uncompromising truth that without the power and without the presence of the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. This denomination was built on that foundation. It was built on the reality that it is not by might, it is not by power, but it is by my spirit, thus says the Lord. And I want to declare over you as my family of faith in Edry Alliance Church, you do not need better strategies. You do not need more effective methods. You do not even need a more compelling vision. What you are desperate for in this church is men and women full of the Holy Spirit and fire. John said it this way. He said that he, Jesus, will ignite the kingdom of God within you. Isn't that a great phrase? He will ignite the kingdom of God within you, a fire within you, the Holy Spirit within you, transforming you from the inside out. The year was 1904, and a young man by the name of Evan Roberts, 26 years old, in his first semester at Bible school, went to visit an evangelist by the name of Seth Joshua, And Seth Joshua stood before that group that was gathered there, and he made this impassioned prayer. He said, oh, God, bend us. Oh, God, bend us. And that young man, Evan Roberts, prayed in his soul, oh, God, bend me. And that night, the fullness of the Holy Spirit came upon that young man. And he was given a vision, a vision that God wanted to bring 100,000 souls in Wales to Christ in only a few months. What a staggering vision. Two weeks later, he was in his home church. And there, as he stood in front of all of his family and friends, he raised his hands in the air and he audaciously prayed this prayer. Send the Spirit now for Jesus Christ's sake. Oh, send the Spirit now powerfully for Jesus Christ's sake. Send the Spirit now more powerfully for Jesus Christ's sake. Send the Spirit now still more powerfully for Jesus Christ's sake. And the atmosphere in the room became electric with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
and they were filled with the glory of the Lord. And it spread from that humble church to every other church in Wales, and a mighty revival broke loose in Jesus' name. It changed the social fabric of Wales. Bars were closed for over 80 years. The police officers had nothing to do, so they actually formed quartets and went and sang at the revival meetings. Judges wore white clubs because they had no cases to try. Prostitutes gloriously came to Jesus and their houses, instead of being places of sexual favors, became gospel preaching centers in Wales. Come on! Even the work in the mines actually slowed down and you would say, well, why would the work in the mines slow down in the midst of a revival? Because the, the horses that were used to, to move the coal in and out of the mines... They were so used to the obscenities and the abuse of their workers that they didn't know what to do and all the swearing stopped and the abuse stopped. But here's the most amazing thing. In just over five months, 100,000 people came to know Christ in Wales. One of them was my grandfather. <laughs> he sat in the very room as Evan Roberts preached. He gave his heart to Jesus. And as a, as a young boy, I would sit at my grandfather's feet. He would tell me these stories firsthand. His face would light up with the glory of God. And even as a young boy, I would cry out in my soul, Oh, God, do it again. Now I'm 58 years old, and I look across the landscape of Canada, and I'm begging God, come and visit us in Canada. Please rend the heavens and come down. We long for this moment. And that's why I'm so glad I'm part of a denomination that believes in its very core that the message given to us is a message that has been steeped in the Holy Spirit, a message that leads men and women to seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit without exaggeration, without fanaticism, without unscriptionalism of any kind, all that power can be and yet with the spirit of a sound mind. I say, Sandy Isfeld, that's my next tattoo. Amen. Well, I don't even have one tattoo, but that'll be my tattoo. <laughs> because Simpson knew this. That mission without holy fire only leads to humanitarianism. But holy fire without mission would also just only lead to fanaticism. It would just get a little weird. But friends, holy fire together with mission leads to revolution. And if there has ever been a time for revolution, it is now. But I'm going to make a confession to you. Many in our alliance churches have become afraid of our own theology. Friends, we've become so afraid of wildfire, so afraid of false fire, that we've actually accepted no fire and treated that as normal. And I'm declaring to you, not on our watch. Amen. See, I still believe in something called holy fire, amen? amen? I'm still convinced in my soul that God wants to visit his churches in a radical way and re re refresh us with his power and with his glory. Andrew Murray speaking to missionaries in 1901 in, uh, in the Congo, made this startling statement, but I think it's a prophetic word for us today. He said this, the key to the missionary problem is the missionaries. What a startling statement. And then he went on to say, they believe in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, but they lack the encounter. Could that be a word for us today? 
Could we be a denomination that has an amazing theology of the Holy Spirit and yet we lack the encounter, the experience of the fullness of the Holy Spirit? And then he goes on to make these daring words. He says there should never be a missionary ministry that is not full of the presence and power of the Lord. I'm saying that for us today. That in every one of our churches, oh God, fill us with your power and fill us with your glory. Because I believe God today is calling us to a radical encounter of heart-reviving, sin-defeating, and boldness-producing Holy Spirit power. That's it. And so, Ezekiel's vision. Ezekiel's vision is a vision of the potent, uncontainable power of the Holy Spirit. It was in John chapter 7, the Feast of the Tabernacles. And one of the great celebrations at the Feast of the Tabernacles is known as the the, the water ceremony. And it actually comes right from Ezekiel's vision. And the priests would go to the pool of Siloam and they would gather up large jugs of water. They would go through the water gate. They would go above the altar and they'd pour the water down the south side of the altar. And the water would run through the altar. It would run down the steps. It would run into the courtyard. And Jesus, on the last day of that ceremony in John chapter 7, says, do you want to know what Ezekiel was talking about? Do you want to know what this is actually a picture of? And Jesus cries out in a loud voice. I love this moment. He wants everybody to pay attention. And Jesus cries out in a loud voice and he says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. If you believe I am, as the scriptures say I am, then from your inmost being will flow rivers of living water. By this he spoke of the Spirit. And what Jesus was doing in that moment was saying, You want to understand Ezekiel's vision? Ezekiel's vision is about the power of the Holy Spirit coming from the very heart of God's people. It starts as a trickle, and it expands to encompass the world. And the larger it gets, the deeper it gets, the fuller it gets. It brings revival, renewal, and hope. Oh, God, we are desperate for that today. And the beauty of the picture is this. All we get to bring to the equation is thirst. Isn't that great? All we get to bring is thirst. And so everywhere I go, I pray, oh, Spirit of the living God, bring thirst to the Christian and Missionary Alliance. I believe Ezekiel's vision really brings us to the core of who we are as a movement. Ezekiel is saying it's time to go deeper. And I would say it this way. If you want to crystallize the Christian and Missionary Alliance in this moment, in this time in history, it is a call to go deeper in Jesus and further on mission. Amen? Amen. I said earlier that would be a great t-shirt. I am going to do this t-shirt. Deeper in Jesus, further on mission. Because, as Jesus said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He was talking about the infusion of the Holy Spirit. And I love the way Ezekiel describes it. He says, by now it was a river, hallelujah, that was over my head. Water to swim in. Water that no one could possibly walk through. His vision is that of being immersed in the Holy Spirit. This progressive sense of of, of imagine as it begins as a trickle. And then it's ankle deep, and and then it's knee deep, and then it's waist deep, and then we are in over our head. Can I dare you? I believe that's what God is calling us to. Somebody said to me recently, Dave, where do you think the Christian Missionary Alliance is at? And I said, I think for many of us, we're waist deep. (laughs) And I think there's this sense of, of maybe fear of going in over our head. I love the way Simpson put it. He said, let us receive him, the Spirit, into every pore and fiber of our being. 
He went on to say, oh, I thought I was filled with the Holy Spirit, but he said I wasn't filled to overflowing to overwhelming. He said I had a little bit of the ocean in a bottle, but God wanted to put the bottle into the ocean. And I wonder if that isn't our word today. If God isn't saying in this dramatic stage of human history, I'm calling you as a church to expand the capacity of your soul to receive more of the power and glory and presence of the Holy Spirit for the sake of reaching the nations of the world. Here is the powerful news, that what the Holy Spirit does is actually infuse the life of Christ in us. This is so radical. You see, the invitation into the deep is a radical invasion of the Holy Spirit in our lives, an infusion of the very life in Christ by substituting His strength, His holiness, His joy, His love, His faith, His power for our brokenness and helplessness and making it an actual living fact. Folks, this is radical. You will never become holy by trying harder. Amen? Amen. Let it go. It's not through trying harder. It's through trusting more. It's through radical surrender. It's going in over your head and allowing the Spirit of God to produce the very life of Christ in you. So the question I have for you this morning is, how deep are you today? How deep are you today? Because I am actually convinced that the issue of the fullness of the Holy Spirit is not a theological issue. It really is an issue of control. What are you willing to surrender what are you willing to let go of? When I was in that church in Hardin, Montana, I'm a revivalist at heart. And so my goal was to bring revival to those 30 farmers that were gathered in that little church. And my very first message, I had designed to preach 22 pages on the wrath of God. I was going to dangle them over the fires of hell until they rep- repented. It was sort of a, a Jonathan Edwards kind of moment. And I remember standing up. It was a very hot uh, Sunday, Sunday morning. And uh, I had I'd put 22 pages of notes on the wrath of God on the podium. And one of the good old boys said, hey, pastor, it's hot in here. Can we open a window? And he stood up, ran over, and opened the window that was right beside the podium. And I wish it would have been a Holy Spirit breeze, but it was just a good old nasty Montana breeze. And it swept in and blew all of the notes, 22 pages of notes, out into the congregation. And so for the next 10 minutes, we were trying to assemble my sermon. I got page 9, I got page 11, and and as I said earlier, Sandy, the two young people in our church, they took page 21 and 22, threw them out the window. It was a gong show. (laughs) I preached the most anemic message I'd ever preached, and I went into the the little chapel that was next to the the church, and I remember I'd never done this before, but I raised my fist to God and I said, where were you today? God could have struck me dead in that moment. But he graciously said, oh, David, you didn't need me today because it was all about you. And in that moment, I realized that I would never experience deep revival in my soul until I was ready to surrender all of the areas of my spirit to him. You see, I had a lot of different places in my soul where I had a little sign up that said, Jesus, do not enter. This is mine. And I'm going to declare to you, our God will not share his glory with another. Amen? He wants all of you. And he's going to continue to lean into those places and spaces where you say, Jesus, I've got this one. He's going to say, no, you don't. I want that too. And I remember the Spirit of God guiding me as I wrote down every rival kingdom in my soul. 
And at the very end, I, I, got, I got to the place where I had surrendered every one of those. And I, I took that piece of paper and I scrunked it into a ball and I stuffed it inside a styrofoam cup. And, and I put a, a, a cross, I cut a, a, a straw in half and made it in the sign of a cross on top of that cup. And I remember writing these words on the outside of the cup. Here lies David Hearn. He died today. That Christ might live in him. Airdrie Alliance Church. I believe you're at a tipping point in your church. But the key to going further is surrender. What needs to die in you today? What is it that you would write on your piece of paper that you would say, oh God, come on in. I give it all to you freely, fully, and wholly. I give my soul to you. I love the way Moody put it. He said, before we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to empty us. Amen? I think that is so key. Let me be very laser focused for the next few moments. As I go around and as I speak to people and as I preach on the filling of the Spirit, I am noticing over and over again two areas that are locking people up, that are keeping them waist deep when God is wanting them to go in over their head. And really, it's these two areas, secrets and bitterness. And I want to declare over the Christian Missionary Alliance, no secrets and no bitterness. Amen? We need to break the power of this in Jesus' name because secrets bring with them shame and shame robs you of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I want to pronounce over this church today, this is a no shame Sunday. Please, I'm begging you. This is a moment when we are to walk in the light as he is in the light so that we have fellowship with one another. We need to be confessional people. We need to be open at the core of who we are. We need to find trusted friends that we can be very open with so that there is no hidden area of our lives. We need to break it free in Jesus' name. I have a good friend of mine who's been a bachelor for years, and you'll know why in a moment. He's the messiest housekeeper you can imagine. There are times that he doesn't do his dishes for over three weeks He said he was sitting in his apartment one day and some friends dropped over for a spontaneous visit. And he realized that by the time he let him into his apartment building, till the time they got to his apartment, he had 60 seconds to clean up his kitchen. He said he ran and he took all the dirty pots and pans and dishes. He stuffed them inside his oven. He wiped his counters clean so that they looked absolutely pristine. He went and answered the door and his friends came in and said, we've got pizza, but it's cold. Where's your oven? He said the most embarrassing moment of his life was opening up his oven and pulling out all of his dirty dishes. Airdrie Alliance Church, what's in your oven? We can become masters at making the image look pristine. And yet knowing there is debris in our soul that is creating layers and layers of shame and it's killing us. The best oven cleaner I know is the Holy Spirit. Because he wants you to know there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. That not only has your sin been forgiven, but hallelujah, your shame has been taken away. Let's declare no more secrets, no more shame in Jesus' name. But I also want to be laser focused on bitterness. So many are missing out in the fullness of the Holy Spirit because they are not able to forgive. And we need to break that in Jesus' name. We need to break the power of bitterness in our congregations. I remember I was sitting in my office and I got a call from one of our pastors who said, "Uh, David, I've been in a feud with another one of our pastors for over three years and we need to make this right. We need a mediator. Would you come and help us? And I remember saying yes before I even thought about it. 98% of what I do 
I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to be that honest with you. I'm just going with the flow of the Spirit. So I said, okay, I'll go. I met these two families at one of their homes, and they were sitting across from each other, and it was cold, and it was, it was very stark. And I sat down, and I presented a great devotional on forgiveness. I thought I had nailed it. And I was so excited about the end, sort of like giving an altar call. And so I turned to the pastor, and I said, in light of what I just said, what do you want to say to your brother? He said, I'm so sorry. I know that I've hurt you. Will you forgive me? And this brother turned around, and he had a binder where he'd recorded every conversation they'd had for the last three years. He worked for Revenue Planet, a bless his heart. He was good at his job. He took the binder, laid it down on the table, and began to read out of it. And I stopped him. I said, brother, that's not what we're here for. I said, you've been asked whether you'll forgive. The, 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 the conversation at the moment is, will you choose to forgive your brother? And then he filed through a few more pages, tried to read out of the binder. I stopped him a second time. I said, that's not what we're here for. I said, you've been asked whether you'll forgive. And, and the conversation is, will you choose to forgive? And then I'll never forget, he was a, he was a large man, and, and, he, and he was sort of ominous in his, in his soul, whole demeanor. And he looked at me, and he said, I will forgive him on one condition, that you take this binder back to your office and promise me you will read every word. And I remember that moment going, Spirit of the living God, this is one of those moments where I need some wisdom. And I was filled with boldness. And I looked at him, and I said, if you give me that binder, I will do one thing with it. I will burn it. And then I got really bold and I said, in fact, as a sign of your forgiveness, you need to take this binder and you need to burn it. And then his dear wife, who'd lived with this ogre for three years, because here's the deal. When you are not in a right relationship with others, you are not in a right relationship with God. And she, it was so cute. She leaned over, touched his shoulder and said, let it go, honey, let it go. And all of a sudden, he stood to his feet and he said, okay, then let's burn it. It was January. It was freezing. So we all got our coats. We all headed outside. And as we're heading outside into his backyard, he says, hold on. I've got another binder upstairs, a duplicate copy. <laughs> you cannot make this stuff up. He runs upstairs, gets a duplicate copy. And here we go, out into his backyard. He's got these two binders. He throws them on the ground. He lights them on fire. And they could never teach this to you in Bible college. He starts to dance. Why? fullness of the Holy Spirit had come. What was being burned in that moment was not pages in a binder. It was bitterness. It was hatred. It was anger. And as it was being dissolved, as it was being repented of, as it was being destroyed, life was entering into the deep soul of this man. And he was filled with joy again. He embraced his pastor and said, oh, can you forgive me? So Airdrie Alliance Church, what's in your binders? The one upstairs nobody knows about. This is Renewal Sunday. Can I plead with you? Burn them. Burn them. Burn them in Jesus' name. It's time to dance again. Which leads me to my last point. Not only are we called to go deeper in Jesus, but we're called to go further on mission. And I love this picture as it unfolds because as we see this river that has come out of the temple, where does the river go? The river goes to the very dead places. The river actually ends up going to the Dead Sea. If you've ever been to the Dead Sea, it is dead. It's 1,400 feet below sea level. It is the lowest place on planet Earth. And everything empties into the Dead Sea, but nothing comes out of the Dead Sea. It is filled with salt. For 200 feet up every bank of the Dead Sea, there is nothing but death. It looks like Mars. It is absolutely desolate. That's why this is such a cool vision. 
Because as the water of life, as the presence and power of the Spirit contained in the people of God, the actual atmosphere of the Dead Sea is changed. And as that water hits the salt water, it becomes fresh. And all of a sudden, that place of death is teeming with life. Swarms of fish are in the, in the Dead Sea. They're, oh, wow, this is incredible. And then the picture of fishermen who are on the shores of the Dead Sea. This is an absolute picture of the supernatural power of God going into the deadest places of our world and bringing life. Fishermen are on the banks of the Dead Sea and they are capturing fish of every kind. Could that be the nations of the world? You bet. Over and over again, the church is on the move. The dead places are coming to life because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Could it possibly be that the Spirit of God wants to so fill you, so overwhelm you, so invade you with His presence that everywhere you go, the spiritual atmosphere has changed? Oh, yeah. So two words to you very quickly. The one word is no hesitation, and the other word is no limitation. I want you to be fearless. I mean this with all of my heart. And I think the beautiful picture that Ezekiel paints for us is once you are in over your head, you are no longer in control of your destiny. Isn't that wonderful? The Spirit of God is in control of your destiny. We, Agnes and I, have seen more people healed, more people filled with the Holy Spirit, and more people delivered from demonic activity in the last 12 months than in our entire ministry prior to that. And people are asking the question, David, what is the secret? I go, the secret is... We're just trying to keep up with the Holy Spirit. We have no plan. We are just in the river. And wherever the Spirit takes us, we're going without hesitation. And I want to declare over you a no hesitation rule in this church. Amen? None. That as the Spirit of God leads, we will go. When we uh, moved into our new neighborhood, we were anxious to meet our new neighbors. And Joanne and Roger came over and they introduced themselves and Within about five minutes, she asked that daunting question, Dave, what do you do for a living? I said, oh, I look after a family of churches. And she said, oh, you're, you're Christians, are you? And I remember Agnes and I smiling and saying, well, yes, we are. And she said, oh, we know lots of Christians, and we don't like any of them. <laughs> and then she said, we'll be really good neighbors, but don't you dare try to talk about God to us. She drew a line in the sand. Several months later, Joanne came over to her house and She informed us that Roger had bladder cancer. It was very serious. He was going in for surgery in a few days. And as she left our house, the Spirit of God said to me, David, I want you to go over and pray for Roger. And you know what I said to the Holy Spirit? I said, oh, no, we talked about that several months ago. They're not interested. Can you believe I said that? You know what that is? That's fear. I have discovered that evangelism is actually a walk across your street. And so after three days of fighting with God, I said, okay, I'm going to go. I went and I knocked on the door and I said, Joanne, we love you and Roger. And I know Roger's going in for surgery tomorrow. Could I come in and pray for him? And and Joanne was so blunt. She said, not a chance. That would freak him right out. But then she said these words, could you talk to God for us? Because we don't know how to do that. We went home and I prayed. I said, oh God, heal Roger. The next day I came home from the office and Joanne came running out of her house. Very unpredictable. I wound on the window and she said, David, you'll never believe what happened. We took Roger in for surgery this morning. They did a pre-op exam. They couldn't find the tumor. They had two other specialists come in and look for the tumor. They couldn't find it. They said they have declared Roger is absolutely cancer-free. And then she said, I wanted you to be the first to know because you prayed. And it was so cute. She said, you Christians call it. It starts with an M. I said, miracle. She said, that's the one. 
Roger and Duane don't know Jesus yet, but we can talk about God now. So no hesitation. What is it right now that God is asking you to do? What is the walk right now that God is asking you to take? I dare you in Jesus' name, do it. And I conclude with this. No limitation. Last uh, two years ago, I told you the story of my mom, and I'm going to tell you the second half of it now. My mom is the most fearless, spirit-filled 89-year-old woman I know. She's amazing. She, uh, she's just coming to move uh, to live with us over the last couple of weeks, but she's been living in Abbotsford in a ground-level apartment. And every day, my mom talks to Phyllis on the phone. Phyllis is deaf, and my mom is deaf. Can you imagine that conversation? They're yelling at each other over the phone every day. One day, mom is yelling at Phyllis. Phyllis is yelling at my mom. And a young man, 21 years of age, he breaks into my mom's ground-level apartment, goes by the room where she's yelling at Phyllis, steals all of her money, steals her jewelry, steals her car keys, goes into the underground parking, finds my mom's car, drives it through the big iron gate. There is a huge crash. Everybody in the condo hears it except my mother. The police are called. Within 30 minutes, they catch the thief. They get my mom's money back, her jewelry back, her car back. My mother does not even know she's been robbed. So when Constable Frank shows up at the door, my mom's just realizing something's not right. And he said, don't worry, Mrs. Hearn, you've been robbed, but we've got your, your jewelry back, we've got your car back, and here's your $35. And my mom said, but I only had $25. And the police officer said, you keep it, dear, you keep it. <laughs> Fast forward three months. Mom finds out the young man is going to plead guilty. And he's going to be sentenced to jail time. And so she says, David, I want to go. And so I said, Mom, why do you want to go? She said, I want to let that young man know face to face that I forgive him and that I'm praying for him. And so we, we arrived at the uh, courtroom. On one side was my mother, my middle daughter, and me. And on the other side was just the young man's mother. And while we're waiting for the judge to come, in comes the young man's lawyer. He's a friend of mine. His name is Daryl Schultz. He's a part-time lawyer, part-time pastor. How that works out in the economy of God, I'm really not sure. But he's very, very good at both. He said, David, why, why is your mom here? And I said, it looks like the, your client robbed my mother. He goes, oh, no. And then, and then I said, but, but mom wants your client to know that she forgives him and that she's praying for him. Judge comes in, all rise. Young man comes in with the sheriff beside him behind a, a, a glass enclosure. And... Uh, um, my friend Daryl Schultz goes to the podium and says, Your Honor, I'd like to ask for a special uh, privilege. It was granted. He said, I want to introduce you to the victim. Her name is Mrs. Hearn. He said, I have been a lawyer for years, and whenever the victim shows up in the courtroom, it's because they want to make sure the perpetrator gets the full extent of the law. But he said, Mrs. Hearn is here for a different reason. She wants my client to know she forgives him and that she's praying for him. That judge later said to Daryl Schultz these words, an actual quote. He said, I hate people of faith. They make my job so difficult. Isn't that great? <laughs> the judge turns to the young man and says, you stand to your feet. This is an amazing moment. He said, today in this courtroom, you've been offered a moment of mercy. I'm only going to sentence you to half the amount of time I was because of Mrs. Hearn. Now, what do you need to say to her? This 21-year-old kid looks at my mom and goes, I'm really sorry. And my mother, full of the Holy Spirit, effervescent, she's in the deep end, friends, jumps to her feet and goes, it's all right, you're forgiven. It was such a powerful moment. <laughs> she runs over and embraces a young man's mom and says, I'm going to pray for your boy. And deep in my soul, I said, Mom, that's the Dead Sea. He's not coming. He's dead. There's no way. No way. Mom prayed for him for eight years. Eight years. Last year, in, in February, I got an email from Daryl Schultz. He said, David, you'll never believe what happened. But that young man, Clark, 
He's actually become a believer. He's getting baptized. Would your mom possibly come and be part of his baptism? There's Clark. There he is. And then, and mom was a little too old to go, so, but, but this is what Daryl wrote about the baptism. This is so cool. This is the words he said. He said, it's the most amazing baptism my wife and I have ever experienced. Clark brought 10 of his unsafe friends, and most surprising of it all was that his mother was not only there, but had seen the change in Clark, started attending church, and became a Christian five weeks ago. She got baptized too. So I included the pictures of her baptism as well. They gave their testimonies. It was a blessed event. Thanks so much to your mom for the role she played in Clark's life. He thought it was really cool that I'd be sending her pictures of his baptism. So in April, I called Clark and I said, could you come visit my mom? And he came and we spent three glorious hours together. Go to the next slide. This is the place of the crime. And Clark says to my mom, he says, while I was in jail, a Christian came and shared their faith with me. He said, I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he says, I went through the one-step program. God delivered me from alcohol, drugs, and pornography in a moment. And he said, he filled me with his Holy Spirit, and I'm more passionate than I've ever been. And then he smiled and said, but I robbed a few more houses since yours. And he said, I probably have to go back to jail for a few more months. But then he said these profound, prophetic words. He said, but I do not go back as a prisoner. I'm going back as a preacher. And my mom says, if you're going back as a preacher, then you better be commissioned. And that's what this is. My mom is praying in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I commission you, Clark, to be an evangelist filled with the Spirit. That's the Dead Sea. Being met with the river of life. And it comes to life. It comes to life. Where are the dead places in your world, in your home, in Airdrie? I dare you, do not give up. We serve a God who is without limitation. Amen? Amen. We serve a God who is supernatural to the core. And I still believe in supernatural things and in a supernatural God. Yes, Lord, yes. Please stand to your feet. Band, come and join us at the front. The next moment, I'm going to pray over you. Before I do, I was speaking in a large conference, and as I was exiting the conference, there were bleachers at the back, and I heard a whisper say, hey, can you come in here? And as I looked into the bleachers, there was a young man there. And, I, and so I walked, and it felt almost like a drug deal. It felt really weird, you know. I, I walked into the bleachers, and there was a young man there in his mid-20s who said, I heard what you said about being filled with the Spirit. He said, I'm so dry. I'm so lost. And I'm so desperate. Will you pray for me? Immediately, he dropped to his knees. I'll never forget it. He raised his hands in the air, and he began to say, come, Holy Spirit. And I touched the top of his head and I said, Spirit of the living God, you said our only, our only condition is thirst and he's thirsty. And I felt the palpable manifest presence of Jesus come upon him. It felt like waves of love that were just pouring over this young man's life. I could feel the heat of the Shekinah glory of God. I've never felt that before. It was utterly intoxicating. And then what happened next was amazing. He jumped to his feet, he fist bumped the air and he said, hallelujah, and he ran away and I never saw him again. What is that about? So two years later, at the same conference, I walked in. That young man spotted me across the room. 
He came running as fast as he can. There were no pleasantries. There was no, how are you? He dropped to his knees, raised his hands in the air, and he said, more. 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 You didn't come to a church service today. You came to an encounter. You did. Some of you in this room have never been filled with the Holy Spirit. Surrender, let it go. I beg you in Jesus' name. Surrender, let it go. I beg you. Ask the Spirit of God to fill you. To fill you. For those who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, this is the one moment in your Christian life where you get to be greedy. Amen. You can dare to ask for more. Say, oh God, expand the capacity of my soul. Wherever I'm at in the river, I want to go deeper. I want to go in over my head. I dare you to just cry from the inner part of your soul, more, more, more. The altar's open. For some of you today, you need to get out of that place where you're standing right now. You need to physically move to the front. And you need to come to a place of just radical surrender before Jesus. And so as our band plays, I'm going to invite you. I'm going to dare you. I'm going to implore you. I'm going to say, the river is flowing, friends. Hallelujah. It's water to swim in. So come. 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 In over your heads in over your heads for the sake of the king.